Chapter twenty three of Nothing But the Truth by Frederick Isham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three Making Good. Bob sent Dad a modest sized check the next day. Result of hustling, he wrote. Spend freely. There'll be more coming presently. Then Bob went down on the narrow road that isn't straight, but that has a crook in it. He stopped somewhere near the crook, and entering an office, greeted a melancholy-looking man who had bad business, and country-going-to-pot, written all over his face. The melancholy man was a club acquaintance. "'What's the most abused and worst thing on the street that isn't straight?' said Bob debonairly. "'That's right. Call us names,' replied the melancholy man, with a sigh. "'Everybody's doing it.' Have you got something so awful people turn their heads away when you speak of it? There's the utopian, observed the other. Only a buzzard would get near it. Do they call the promoter a thief? They do. And is he crazy? He is. It's either jail or a lunatic asylum for him. Bob handed what was left of the Commodore's check to the melancholy man. By utopian, he said. All right answered the melancholy man listlessly. He was beyond feeling any emotion. "'I believe in Utopian,' observed Bob. "'I have here,' touching his forehead, "'inside information that it is an excellent little railroad property.' "'Oh, it isn't a railroad,' said the melancholy man. "'It's—' "'Don't tell me what it is,' retorted Bob. "'Repeat some of those things the world calls the promoter.' The melancholy man was obliging. "'Heavens!' He must be an awful honest man," said Bob, and started toward the door, where he turned. Pyramid with the profits! And Bob walked out. That afternoon he went to a real estate man and asked where he could lease a small factory. While at college he had invented a small appliance for automobiles, which he felt sure was good and would commend itself to manufacturers. Bob knew about all there was to know about a car. After he had looked at several old deserted buildings on the outskirts, any one of which might answer his purpose, Bob strolled into a number of automobile agencies near Columbus Square, and showed them his little patent. The men in charge were willing to express an opinion. Several appeared interested. Of course, Bob would ultimately have to go to the higher-ups, but he wanted first to find out what these practical chaps thought. One of them even asked Bob if he wanted a partner. Bob didn't. He had all the capital needed, he replied. He was taking a serious, sober view of life now. He felt himself no longer darn fool Bob, or careless Bob, or lazy Bob. He might have done something with his little device long ago, but he had forgotten all about it. Its creation had been a passing whim. Bob really had a good head for machinery, though, and now he was beginning to feel out his path. He wanted to work hard, too, which was a novel sensation. It felt, also, like a permanent sensation. Meeting several chaps, he refused their invitations to partake of the sparkling, much to their surprise, as heretofore he had been a prince of good fellows. Henceforth, however, he was going to be king of himself. That night in the old home, in the old square, Dolly called him up by telephone. "'How could you disappoint me so?' said jolly little pal. The idea of your just pretending to be a burglar. Me? Pretend? Bob laughed. I say, that's good. Didn't I tell you all along I wasn't? 
"'But why didn't you make me believe you weren't?' retorted little pal reproachfully. "'To think of your deceiving me like that!' "'Deceive you! That's good, too. Why, I told you again and again I was just a plain, ordinary person. You were just bound to idealize me.' There was a brief pause. "'Are you so disappointed in me you are going to disown me now?' continued Bob. "'No, I'm still your jolly little pal. Only, to think, though, there never was a chance of those adjoining cells after all.' "'Well, there seemed a good chance, anyhow.' "'Yes, it was nice and exciting while it lasted,' the temperamental little thing sighed. "'It's awful humdrum up here now.' Bob didn't ask any questions about the people up there. "'You ought to have fallen in love with the hammer-thrower,' he said. "'He was the real thing.' "'I suppose I should have.' she seemed to agree. Wasn't I stupid? Never mind. Say something nice." "'Like you,' said Bob. "'Heaps. I need cheering. Heaps.' "'Much obliged. You're awfully good. What are you doing this evening?' "'I was sitting by the fire in Dad's old-fashioned den, thinking and dreaming.' "'All alone?' "'Entirely.' "'What were you thinking of?' "'Machinery. And a factory.' And will it have a tall chimney that belches smoke? I trust ultimately to attain to the kind of a chimney you refer to. At present I shall have to content myself with a comparatively insignificant one. I have visions of a chimney four hundred feet high some day. Belching ugly smoke? It won't look ugly to me. It'll look blissful. The biggest sigh of all quivered from afar. Another dream shattered. My, but I'm growing up fast. I feel a million years old. Anyhow, I'll never marry Dickie. Wouldn't if I were you. He doesn't fight fair. Before he got through, he'd have all your dad's chimneys, as well as his own, and then he'd put you on an allowance. You'd have to account for every pin and needle you bought. Yes, I know. When I do find the right man, I'll bring him to you and let you pass judgment. You shall tell me whether I can or can't. All right, though isn't that rather a paternal prerogative? Oh, Dad always lets me do what I want. You are the only man who has ever dared oppose me. But suppose I did oppose you in a matter of such importance? Miss Dolly thought. We won't cross that bridge before we come to it. You said you were thinking and dreaming. I know what you were thinking about. Now, what were you dreaming about all by your lonely, sitting by the fire? Bob was glad he didn't have to blurt out the truth any more. He evaded. "'Did I say dreaming?' he asked. "'You did. Was it of someone?' "'Pooh! What nonsense!' "'Oh, it isn't nonsense to do that.' "'I was only thinking of chimneys and things like that,' returned Bob. That was an out-and-outer. He shuddered to think of the answer he would have had to make a few days ago. "'Never mind,' said the jolly little pal. "'You needn't tell me.' There are some things we keep locked up for ever and ever, in the inner sanctums of our hearts, aren't there? Sadly. And we die, and they are buried with us. Oh, dear, I'm beginning to feel dreadful. Only jolly little pal is awfully sorry. For him, she meant. Bob winced. I hate to think of you sitting there, poor dear, all alone, and, and— I'm having a bully time, honest, said Bob. I really am. I'm planning out my future. I'm going to do something. I'm tired of being nothing. I'll work right with the workmen at first. And you will be all perspiry and covered with soot? 
in horror. "'I'll be worse than that. I'll be sweaty and covered with soot,' said Bob practically. Dolly groaned. "'It seems to me as if everything is upside down.' "'No. Downside down. Life is real. Life is earnest,' he quoted, laughing. "'Oh, dear, that solemn sound. I can tell you are terribly determined.' He did not answer. "'Well, good-bye, great, big, perspiry, I mean, sweaty, sooty old pal.' "'Good-bye, Dolly, and thank you for calling me up. It did me good to hear little pal's voice. Wish me luck.' "'I'll send you a horseshoe tomorrow,' she laughed, and then, suddenly, as an afterthought, "'By the way, I have a fashion to make.' "'All right. Fess ahead.' "'Well, I don't suppose I really and truly, deep down, you know, actually ever did quite think you were a regular burglar. I guess it was the dramatic situation that appealed to me. I've often thought I had histrionic ability, and you did make such a big, bold, handsome, darling, make-believe burglar to play with. I just couldn't resist." "'I understand,' said Bob. I guess, deep down, I guessed as much, and rang off. Bob went back to the fireplace. Was he dreaming now, or only thinking? Dolly's voice had taken him back to Mrs. Ralston's, and the coals now framed a face. He looked quickly from them, his eyes following the smoke of his pipe. But the smoke now framed the face. Bob half closed his eyes an instant, then resolutely he laid down his pipe and went to bed. Dad had closed the rather spacious old-fashioned house when he went away, and a momentary feeling of loneliness assailed Bob, as he realized there was no other person in the place. But he fought it down. Work was his incentive now, hard work. The next day he learned they had lodged the promoter in jail. The big men had gone gunning for him, and, as usual, they got him. They got the utopian, too. They took that because there wasn't anything else to take. Incidentally, they discredited the broker's statement that no one but a buzzard would go near it. Or, maybe, some of the big men were buzzards in disguise. Anyhow, they had the utopian on their hands, and after they had settled with the promoter, who had dared cross the trail of the big interests in his operations, they poked their fingers into utopian, and prodded it, and examined it more carefully, and discovered that, with honest judicial management, and a proper application of more funds, that which had been but an odorous prospect, might be converted into a property. The promoter had taken funds which he shouldn't, so he was out of their way until he got pardoned. The utopian, accordingly, now began to soar. There were plenty of people who would sniff at it, in its new aspect, and take a bite, too. A shoal of speculators wanted to get aboard. That honest management was a bait. That property probability became a sure thing. Big names were juggled in little offices. The usual thing happened just one of those common occurrences hardly worth describing. Only later, it would probably be included in a congressional investigation, and there would be a few reverberations at Albany. Bob pulled out in about two days. "'How'd you know?' said the broker. "'Fellow feeling. Been called a thief and a crazy man myself. What you want to buy now? The next rankest thing I know of is—' Bob shook his head. "'Never again. Goodbye forever.' Goodbye, said the melancholy man. He thought he would see Bob down there again some day, but he never did. Bob went to a bank and opened an account. He wasn't exactly rich, 
but he had a nice comfortable feeling. Moreover, he expected to build solidly. He leased the factory and then he went to work. Dad came home. He didn't seem much interested in what Bob was doing. He loafed around and told fish stories. Bob got up about 5 a.m., but Dad didn't arise until 9. Sometimes he had his breakfast in bed and had his man bring him the newspaper. Bob didn't have a man, though he soon began to prosper. The device was considered necessary in the trade. It proved practical. Bob added to his factory and built a fair-sized chimney. Dreamily, he wondered if it would realize jolly little chum's idea of a chimney. He had to cut out all the social functions now, for he was so tired when he got home he wanted only his dinner and his pipe and bed. Dad, however, stayed out late. He remarked once he thought he would learn the tango. Bob never knew, though, whether he carried out the idea or not. The newspapers, a few months later, apprised Bob that Gee Gee had landed the Grand Duke. A snapshot revealed him imbibing from Gee Gee's Cinderella slipper. Possibly the Grand Duke was enraged over the snapshot. More likely, however, he didn't care. He was so high up he could do anything and snap his fingers at the world. Bob permitted himself a little recreation. Out of mild curiosity, he went to see Gigi. She now had a fair-sized part, and was talked about. Incidentally, she had acquired a few additional wriggles. His vivacious highness sat in a box, and Gigi wriggled mostly for him. She hardly looked at the audience. But the audience didn't act offended. It applauded. Gigi's dream had come true. She was a star and to her credit she reached out a helping hand to get up. The latter now said more than, "'Send for the doctor!' She had eight lines, which was certainly getting on some. Bob, however, didn't notice Dan or Clarence in the audience. They were probably billing and cooing at home now. Only grand dukes can afford to toy with Gee-Gee's. Bob didn't stay to see and hear it all, for a little of Gee-Gee went a long way. And besides, he had to get up early. Dad, though, who accompanied Bob, said he would stay right through. Once on Fifth Avenue, Bob passed Miss Gerald. She was just getting out of her car. An awful temptation seized him to stop, but he managed to suppress it, for he had himself fairly in hand by this time. He saw they would almost meet, but there were many people, and in the press he didn't have to see her. So he didn't. He felt sure she would cut him if he did. It was the first foolish thing he had done for some time. He realized that when he got away. But what was he to do? He objected to being cut, and by her of all persons. He regretted the incident very much. It hurt his pride, and, of course, he had earned her dislike. Bob hied him factoryward and toiled mightily that day. It was work. Work, though, to what end? If he only knew— he had tried to tell himself that he was learning to forget, that he was becoming reconciled to the inevitable. But that quick glimpse he had caught of her from a distance, before he drifted by with the others, had set his pulses tingling. For a moment now, Bob gave way to dreaming. The day was almost done. He sat with his head on his hand and his elbow on the desk. He had shown he was more than a dancing man. He would now have to fight an even harder battle. He would have to take her out of his heart and mind. But he couldn't do that. It was impossible, when his whole nature clamored for her. He yielded now to the dubious luxury of thinking of her. 
he hoped he wouldn't see her again, and then gradually he would win in that fight against nature, or do his best to. Yes, he must do his best. He must, he repeated to himself, closing a firm hand resolutely. Then he started, and stared, at a vision standing before him. Why did you cut me today? End of chapter 23